Well, good morning. I am Taryn. It is nice to see you all here today. And I'm on the teaching team here. If I have not met you yet, I would love to do so. So please come up and say hi afterwards. As you just saw, sorry, I'm still getting situated. See if this comes up higher. Awesome. Well, you saw we are in a series called Easter Changes Everything. And when Rick told me uh, this is a series we're going through, I'd love for you to teach on hope. My initial thought was, oh, okay. Um, I think I even sent an email back that was like, are you sure it's not this other thing? Um, but today I'm teaching on hope and this year hasn't been full of a lot of that. So what I want to do is hopefully take you with me today and look at hope from a different direction, a different meaning of hope. Pray with me. God, it's such a privilege to share space with these people today. That you see absolutely everything that we walked in with and you saved us a seat here knowing that you had a word for just us, whether it was one word or a hundred. Lord, we just want a new vision for hope today because this world doesn't seem full of very much goodness. Thank you for your presence. Amen. We're going to dive right into scripture. So find a Bible around you. It's probably next to you, in front of you. And we are going to be looking at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. There is a page number on there if you use a Bible that's in this room. We're going to start. Chapter 1, verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The Greek meaning of the word hope in this passage, it is a hope that means that's where we flee for refuge. It's an expectation of good. And living hope, that's different. Living hope is one that never dulls. It's confident assurance that God will do good to you in the future. And somehow we created a very, a very different definition of that when we talk about hope. It's a, well, I sure hope that this will happen, but I'm not really sure if it will. It's no clear expectation for the outcome until I see that outcome happen. It's a wait and see uncertainty. And what Peter, who wrote this, what he wants us to know from this passage is that we have new life just because of the resurrection. Because a man was dead 
and raised to life again, we now have a new life and a living hope. That's good news. And as I read this, and the more digging that I did into this idea of a living hope, the more I am not sure that I understand it. Have I experienced a living hope that never dulls? So I started with this question that's just, well, what am I hoping in? In 1 Peter 1.4, it says an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance, it's generously waiting for us because we are God's kids. But I've heard it put like this too, that this inheritance, it will never be touched by death, stained by evil, or fade with time. It is death-proof, sin-proof, and age-proof. But it's also fail-proof because God guards and preserves it in heaven for us. That our future, it is secure because of God's power, not by a single thing that we could do, but because of God's power. So why don't we experience a confident hope all the time if that's the truth? Well, let's talk about some things that dim our hope. The big one is just that life happens. And when life happens, things get confusing very quickly. What can raise our anxiety in an instant? Thinking about the future. What holds us back from being in the present? Thinking about the future. What do we think about maybe more often than anything else? The future. We're uncomfortable not knowing, not having control. We wonder what God is up to, and it dulls our hope. But our hope also dulls when we think that we need answers in order to have peace. I can always muster up a little bit of hope after I saw how God came through. Always, every single time. Whoa, that's the hope of this world that we were just talking about. But he says we can have something else in the waiting, in the during. In 1 Corinthians 14.33, he says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of clarity? No, but of peace. And if we can have clarity amidst confusion, then we can have peace with no answers. Why don't we experience a confident hope always if it's true? Well, it's really easy to mix up expectation and expectancy. I sit on this fence all the time, and without knowing it, I fall over into the yard of expectation. Expectancy, it says, God, I know you have good plans for my life. And expectation says, I've been spending a lot of time with you, God. I've been praying a lot. I feel near to you, and I expect that you're going to put a little bit of favor in my life. It's a subtle difference. 
kills intimacy. My biggest barrier to experiencing living hope, it comes from three little words. God is good. Now before you come at me, just saw some faces fall, just hold tight. I believe that there are no truer words. So much so that I'm quick to go back to this truth when things get hard. That when something happens in my life and it doesn't align with who I know God to be, who I know his character to be, I rush to these words, but God, you're good. But when I rush, it's because I'm uncomfortable feeling disappointed with God. I'm too quick. This light creeps in and it says, you can't be disappointed and believe he's good. Because if you did believe that he's good, then shouldn't trust feel easy. You can pray and you can let this go. But if you're disappointed in God, if you choose that route, then you're lacking faith. I know in my head, I know he tells us he can handle our anger, our confusion, our disappointment. He tells us that. And yet I struggle to say those words to him. I struggle to let my heart feel those emotions because something says that's wrong. Even though it's allowed. It does not diminish our faith to have common relationship emotions with God. It strengthens our closeness with him when we let him in. When these hope dimmers, they don't get the attention that they deserve. What they turn into are beliefs. Beliefs that God doesn't listen to me when I talk. He doesn't have a plan for my life. I've never heard his voice, so clearly he doesn't have anything to say to me. And when these beliefs, they steal our thoughts, they have influence over our faith. Here's where we can turn. All throughout scripture, God gives us this consistent, powerful imagery of lament. And lament just means a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It is to show or to feel deep grief or regret. Lament is not complaining. It's not thinking, gosh, if I was just stronger, I could get over this quicker because we have plenty of comforts we can turn to when we even feel like this much uncomfortable. So to feel deep sorrow, deep regret, how often do we go there? I want to look at a few examples from scripture of people who find themselves at this crossroads between lament and living hope. The first one is Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he's this prophet in the Old Testament, and he's just written three chapters in deep anguish for unthinkable things that his people are going through. Three chapters, and he's not done. 
He writes in Lamentations 3, 19 through 25, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He's grief-stricken, yet has living hope. We look at Peter, who Rick taught on last week, and Peter has gone back to his old life of fishing after denying knowing and following Jesus three times. We meet him in shame, in mourning the death of his dear friend. He's in a boat, and he sees Jesus alive again on the shore. He runs to him realizing that his hope is literally living on the shore and he can't get there fast enough to be comforted by the embrace of Jesus. He runs toward hope in his regret. We look at Hagar at this crossroads between a lament and living hope and she is this young pregnant Egyptian slave. She is living under abuse, and we find her in despair. She runs away to this well, and an angel of the Lord, he meets her there with a message that says, you and your son, you're going to have freedom. This sits so deeply in her soul that she gives God a new name, El Roy, meaning God sees me. This fulfilling of her promise doesn't come for 14 years. Nothing changes in Hagar's circumstances, and yet living hope chased her down, and it was enough, enough to wait. We look at Job. He's an Old Testament man whose faith was tested. Gosh, I think in the first chapter or two, all of his kids die. His livestock, it's stolen and killed. People in his life who he is close to, they misunderstand him. They reject him. His friends, they fail to comfort him over and over and over. His body, it fails him. The book of Job seems like a lot of ramblings from a man who is both deeply sorrowful and deeply trusting. That even though others try to rush Job's grief, he holds on to both lament and solid hope. He allows grief, grief to move through him through tough conversations with God. Each of these people, they have found themselves at the same crossroads that we experience. And they have pursued relationship with God in the midst of their questions. With this in mind, I want to shift to what this means for our faith journey. I want to paint you a picture of someone who is still in the process of trying to understand an enduring hope. I invite you to listen to these words 
and just say, God, do I find myself in any of these? There are circumstances in your life that you have expectancy that God will move in. What are they? You pray continually for this. You are full of trust. As time goes on, your prayers don't seem to be getting any closer to answered. You wonder if there's a different way that the Lord wants you to pray. You've been actively waiting and listening to the Lord. The more you make moves, the more confusing things feel. When you read scripture, you bring this lens to it. God, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. Questions, they start to grip your spirit. Why isn't God speaking to me? I'm trying to follow his will, but he's not guiding me anymore. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. This discouragement, it sits beneath the surface. Because admitting that you're wondering about God's goodness, that feels scary. Does that mean I'm losing faith? No, nope, I trust him. I trust him. You find yourself grasping for next steps. If God's not going to show me, maybe I should just take steps in faith and trust that he will close doors as I go. But hope starts to dull slightly. You lower the bar you have for Jesus to curb disappointment. In order to keep going, you remind yourself that even still, God is good. Months and months go by with small, hopeful moments bubbling up just to be quickly knocked back down. You lower your hope meter so that next time you don't let yourself get so excited just to feel continuous failure because that hurt too much. You think, I know he's good. I'm just not sure he's good to me. You start to analyze this pattern and realize you are the common denominator. You trust that God's character is unchanging, so maybe I'm doing something wrong turns into maybe I'm what's wrong. It seems as if I can't do anything right anyway. I can't hear from you, and each step I take, it's met with a block, so defeat makes its bed in your spirit. Self-confidence shatters, so you quit praying about circumstances because you're sure you wouldn't know God's voice if he spoke anyway. The voice in your head that you've attributed to God says on repeat, no, not like that. Not, no, not like that. Are you sure you heard God right to begin with? Doubt is constant. One day you reflect and you wonder how you got here. You truly believe in God's goodness and yet hope isn't vibrant anymore. It's not sustaining. You have to fight to feel it. What stood out? You may not have connected with each statement, and I didn't expect you to, because this is my story. I am the person a month ago asking the question, I get here. Instead of lamenting each disappointment as it came, I just stayed busy. 
instead of mourning all that I thought would be, I just moved forward on to next steps. Instead of allowing myself to be disappointed in God, I just pretended I wasn't. I compartmentalized this piece of my faith, believing that, God, I know you are good to my family. I have seen it, but not in my purpose. For two weeks in a row, I came up here and I lit a candle, trying to get some hope back, and I couldn't get it to light either time. I was like, this is some joke, God. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, I'm, I'm literally taking steps forward to say I need hope, and I can't light the candle, the little stick. It's because I thought I needed to feel living hope in order to believe it instead of just knowing that I can believe in living hope even when I don't feel it. Dormant discouragement, it will eat at us and eat and eat and it creates space for the enemy to insert these subtle lies. That when we are vulnerable, but we do not address that vulnerability exists, the enemy will say whatever he wants to say while you pretend it has no impact. For me, avoiding lament, it led to dead hope, not living. Hope that doled and doled until I woke up one day and I thought, God, how do you feel about me? We think that hopelessness is felt by people in gangs, people who are homeless, people with shocking stories. But it's felt by people just living everyday life. It's felt by people in here. It's felt by me. And with, when we don't pay attention or create space to just say, I'm discouraged. Hopelessness thrives. Philip Yancey, he says, disappointment with God does not come only in dramatic circumstances. For me, it edges unexpectedly into the mundaneness of everyday life. I found that petty disappointments tend to accumulate over time, undermining my faith with a lava flow of doubt. I start to wonder whether God cares about everyday details about me. I'm tempted to pray less often, having concluded in advance it won't matter, or will it? My emotions and my faith, they waver, and once those doubts seep in, I'm even less prepared for times of major crisis. Lament is this bridge from, I sure hope he comes through, to living hope. So how do we authentically lament while truly trusting Jesus? I don't know. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out how to hold all of these things at once and let them coexist. But I know that I don't want to sit in this tension without Jesus. 
1 Peter 1.3, it tells us, you have already been born again into living hope. If your hope wavers, trade in your roller coaster ride for a hope that never perishes, spoils, or fades. My relation, oh, that was wrong. Uh, how would your life look different if you allowed yourself to feel disappointments with God as they came? That when uncertainty strikes, you take your insecurity and you say, God, what do I do with this? The good news about living hope, maybe my favorite part is that you don't have to do anything to get it. It's a gift. And that when it dulls, he's the one that restores it, not you. So where has your hope dulled? Where have you neglected to lament? As we come to a close, maybe you're sitting in here and you're thinking, life wasn't supposed to look this way at all. How come it feels like one thing after the next, after the next, after the next continues to happen in my life. This conflict was not supposed to tear my family apart. The relationship that I have with my child, it makes my heart ache. God, I know you say you have a future for me, but I don't know what next steps are. I feel so far from you, I don't even know what stepping stone is next to get back. God, I am certain that you are disappointed in me. That friendship, it was supposed to last longer than it did. Hope dims when we sidestep or we rush, lament. But acknowledging our disappointment, it fosters closeness. It's a necessary release instead of a subconscious stuffing. Hannah Anderson, she puts it like this, that he is the kind of God who welcomes our questions, who can wrestle with us through the confusion and still bless us in the process. He's the kind of God who delights in the plea, help my unbelief, and then hold on to us because we can't hold on to him anymore. He's the kind of God who can handle all our doubt, all our fear, all our questions if we simply commit to letting in. And that's what faith does. Faith doesn't pretend that it's easy to believe what God reveals about himself. Faith simply commits to taking the questions back to him and believing he will have the answers. We're going to have some time to worship and respond. And if you came in here and you're thinking, I don't have anything to grieve. Remember that it's everyday life that builds up and that nothing is too small to take back to God. Maybe it's a piece of your past that you still struggle to grasp that God, I've believed a long time, but every once in a while I think about this moment where I can't make sense of where you were. 
Maybe it's something that you've done that you just carry behind you everywhere you go. You try and let it go, let it go, let it go. I know God forgives me. Maybe it's time to lament. If it's not for you, we can lament on behalf of others. Who in your life is going through it because you know someone who is? Be in this moment however you need. Maybe you need to just sit and let the words wash over you or stand up and praise like you haven't before. To pray by yourself or pray on either side of the auditorium with someone else. And then come up and light a candle that will light as a picture that he restores living hope, not one that could ever die. Lament looks a lot like this, that you allow yourself to just feel the weight of whatever's on your mind right now. Feel how heavy it gets. And you outstretch your hand and you say, God, I know that you are willing and able that I don't have to carry this alone and I don't want to. Will you take it? He's the one that secures your future. And this surrender, it's a humble act of living hope. are in all sorts of places right now. And you see it. You see the parts that we want to lament and we're holding back. You see the parts that feel like they could burst out of our chest right now because we're just ready to be done with this prayer and move on. God, I thank you that you're such a personal God who sees me, who knows the inner parts of me and loves me anyway, that there's no doubt I could have that scares you away. There's not a single thing I could do that you would say I'm disappointed in you, child. Thank you for loving us. Will you teach us how to step into living hope?